Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29, you have Jesus and the disciples. They have just gone to a synagogue and cast the demons out of a demon-possessed man. And then it says that they immediately, it says right there, and immediately they left the synagogue And they went to the home of Peter. Now in this passage and in other passages, Jesus is healing those who are sick. And one question, and I've heard people be very critical of the Bible and of God, saying, if God is so good, why does he allow sickness? And that is a valid question. One thing we have to realize is that back when this all began and Jesus and God made all of the things in six days, including people, made all the fishes and all the beasts and all the trees and all the stars and all that in six days, what did he say at the end of each day? He said, it's good. And at the end of six days when he rested, he said, it is very good. In Hebrew, it is good, good. And so, God didn't make, as they say, God don't make no junk. God did not make a broken humanity. God made a humanity that was good, and God made a system which was good. There is no record of Adam and Eve, before they sinned, of catching a cold, because they couldn't, because there was no brokenness in the world, but they sinned and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was directly against God's command. And that brought through a series of an avalanche of sin, if you will, from generation to generation to generation. People have experienced the sin of Adam and Eve and then invented their own, as it were. And if you look today... As I have said, in every quarter, in every, you know, you, you look at an app on your phone, you turn on the news on TV, you go to a website, you listen to the radio, you go to the grocery store and look at the magazines that are near the checkout stand, sin and moral depravity are everywhere and being pressed into your face. You, you cannot help if you look at anything when you're driving down the road and you have to have your eyes open to drive. There are billboards that are promoting sin. And that was not, God is not saying, okay, let's throw more sin at the world. God's design was not sin. It is our design to make things sinful and it comes from the view of I can do better than God. 
I can't, God doesn't have any good ideas, God's a killjoy, or God's just a bunch of rules, I've heard that a lot. And so I can do things better myself. And when you get people who believe in that view that I can do things better myself, and, and you elect them to places in the state and in the county and in the federal government, they will promote and make laws that are anti-God, that are pro-personal expression, and personal expression always ends up to be sinful. And so when we look at sin and difficulty in the Bible, you can't say if God was good, then there wouldn't be sickness, then my parents wouldn't have died, my child wouldn't have died, I wouldn't have gotten cancer, I wouldn't have this, I wouldn't have that, if God was good, and therefore God must not be good. I've heard people say that God's a meanie, that God is evil, because he does all these things to us, and that is an upside-down, blasphemous view of God. God is very good, we are not, and we shake our fist at God and we say no to God long enough that I believe the period that we're now in America, God is in many ways given us enough rope to hang ourselves. He's letting us do whatever we want to show the logical conclusion of our sin. And I think we are reaching an apex of sinful behavior and thoughts in this country, and so we can't say, if God was good, da-da-da-da-da, we need to say, well, if people were good, if we made the right righteous decisions, then I believe there would be less sickness, there would be less difficulty, because the more righteousness that comes into a situation, the more God's hand is able to move amongst those people. And so, you have this situation where Peter, where Jesus and Peter and Andrew and James and John leave the synagogue. They're probably excited. They're probably very aware now that this person, Jesus, does amazing things. I mean, he cast demons out of a person in a synagogue that they didn't even know was demon-possessed. And the demon, before he left, of course, made this pronouncement that Jesus is the Holy One of God. And so, as I've said before, in the Gospels, the number one witness for who Jesus is comes from the demonic forces because they know who he is. They were there when he created them. They were there when they rebelled against him. And now they're scared when he shows up because he is going to destroy them eventually. And so they leave the synagogue and they walk a couple blocks and they go to Peter's house. And you say, well, how do we know that? Well, archaeologists are, they dig up anything. And this is Peter's house. Everybody says this is Peter's house in Capernaum. Now, Peter and Andrew... We're born in Bethsaida, that said so in the Bible, and then Jesus finds his house in Capernaum, and so sometime after their birth and Jesus coming along, they move to Capernaum. And this house is evidence that Peter was 
He had means. I wouldn't say he's the richest guy in the world, but it's not a row house. If you go home today and you look at your house, it is either houses built in a little row or apartments built in a little row is that we are very organized and square, you know, very linear about how we build our things today. The way this house was built was it was built around a central courtyard. We could say that Peter and those in that courtyard lived in a gated community because you had all of the houses and many of them had common walls and there would be 14 to 20 of these houses built in a big circle and the only way into any of the houses was from the courtyard. And so there was a gate, if you will, into the courtyard. And in the courtyard, there would be common things like uh, a, a grinding wheel for grinding your grain. And some evidence shows that in the courtyard of some of these uh, communities, there was even like a blacksmith anvil. There would be places to turn grapes into wine. And there would be common things that these people who lived around this courtyard would share, and then you had a way into the house, and his house was probably two stories. And uh, the, the idea that this is Peter's house goes back pretty much to Constantine. Constantine was a Roman emperor who came to power in the 300s, and he, he claims to have had a vision of a cross and became a Christian and, and declared that the whole Roman Empire, the whole world, Christianity was your official religion. Okay? And one thing he did and his wife did was they went around and tried to find these places. If you've ever seen on TV, uh, you will see around Easter. There will be people who go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in uh, Jerusalem, and they will have a service in the wee hours of our morning, and that church was built by, and that tomb was discovered by Constantine. Same with uh, the church of the, the Bethlehem, of the main, where the manger was. There's now a big old church there. And that was built by Constantine, the emperor of Rome. He had the money to build these big things. And his wife figured out where these places were. And they put a pin in the map and said that this is, this is Peter's house. Now, Capernaum is way north of Jerusalem. And so uh, it hasn't had a big church built on it. It has just been preserved. And if you were to go there, you can visit Peter's house and you will see... Greek letters on the walls, and if you knew Greek, you would understand that it is the name of Jesus and some of the early hymns of Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, actually scratched into the walls of Peter's house, which leads us to believe, we don't know this for sure, but it leads us to believe that that was an early gathering place for Christians, what we would call a church that Peter, when he got saved and realized who Jesus was, he went back to his house where his mother-in-law was. If you have a mother-in-law, you have a wife. So where his mother-in-law and his wife were, and, and they got saved, and 
turn that into a meeting place and people have looked for evidence and kind of see it that in their little community of a bunch of houses around a central courtyard that this was a early Christian gathering place or an early Christian church. They converted living quarters into a place where people would gather for worship. So on Sunday, everybody would go to Peter's house and they'd have a church service and then Sunday night, people would live in the house and sleep in the house and things like that nature. It was a dual-use house. And so this, this house is about two blocks from the synagogue. We, we know where the synagogue is in Capernaum, and it is still a functional and operating synagogue. And about two blocks, as the crow flies down the road, was Peter's house, Peter's community. And so the it didn't take long at all, that's what I'm saying, is they left and they're excited and they're talking and Peter says, hey, let's all go to my house for Sunday, you know, Sunday dinner, Saturday dinner. And from that, they all arrive there and lo and behold, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick. Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Now today, we say, if you have a fever, you come to me, you say, I have a fever. My first thought, and everybody's first thought, was you have a malady that is causing that fever. There is something like an infection, or there is something that is difficulty going on in your body, and your body is causing a fever to fight this. We see fever as caused by something else. If you go to the doctor and say, I have a fever... They will not necessarily treat the fever before trying to figure out what is causing it. Back in Jesus' day, they didn't think that. If you had a fever, the fever was the disease. They didn't know germs. They didn't know coronavirus. They didn't know nothing, okay, about this sort of stuff. If you had a fever, the fever was what had to be cured. And so they were able to uh, uh, make people comfortable and make people cooler and, uh, you know, put oil on their forehead, let it evaporate, and that would bring cooling about, things of this nature. Uh, if there was a cut in something, they would put oil and wine on it, and that would be helpful. And we know now know that there are healing properties in this, but the idea that you would treat the fever was was how they thought back then. They didn't know cause and effect. What they saw as the symptom was the disease. And so she's sick. And people are concerned because they actually tell Jesus. He says, now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him, Jesus, about her. There is hubbub about, well, he just cast out these demons and he, you know, fixed the stuff in the synagogue. And so maybe, and it's, you know, trying it out here, maybe we can have Jesus do something about it. Now, no, nowhere up to this point has anybody witnessed a healing. Okay? The uh, Copernicum man, son, was a healing of a distance. The boy was 16 miles away. 
The disciples did not trot over and verify the healing. It was all Jesus said he was healed. The man verified he was healed. The man gets saved in his household. But nobody in the disciple group saw it happen. Okay? And I don't know, today people might say, ah, it's a scam, you know, it was a setup. It didn't really happen. Back then, we don't know what they thought. The idea that Jesus turned water into wine, they saw that, that's neat. They cast demons out of somebody, that's, that's scary, but exciting. But there hasn't been any, I saw Jesus heal somebody yet. And so, perhaps, and we're looking at this and we say they told him about him, they didn't demand that Jesus do anything, they just said, hey Jesus... The mother-in-law is sick. And Jesus walks over to her and takes her hand and lifts her up and the fever left her. Which means that whatever was causing the fever was also healed. Jesus didn't just heal the symptom. Okay, He healed the whole package. Whatever was causing the fever was healed, and that's why the fever left. Now, this particular miracle is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay? And so, as they're writing the Bible, and as they're, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, choosing what stories to go in, because Jesus did everything in all four Gospels, but not all four Gospels, have every story or every teaching or every miracle. This one is in three out of the four. And so you look at that and you say, huh, there's something, something that is important about this. There is something that is valuable about this that the gospel writers, that God wants me to see. Now, if you look at uh, in Matthew, it says he touched her. In Mark, he took her hand and lifted her up. In Luke, it says, he rebuked the fever. Now, some people say, aha, he rebuked the fever, therefore the fever must be demonic. Well, I don't know. God can rebuke anything and anybody. It doesn't necessarily mean it's demonic. The fever was an oppression of her. It was an attack on her system whether it's by the white blood cells or whatever, it is still an attack on the system that is not normal. A normal person walking down the street does not have a fever. When you have a fever, it is something abnormal, it is something oppressive, and Jesus rebuked it. Jesus got rid of it. Jesus fixed it. Whatever chemicals were in the body that were off, that was fixed. Now, what happened? Well, fever left her, and she began to serve them. Now, you say, what? She doesn't have to, hasn't have to recuperate for, for three days, you know? Doesn't have to go to the hospital and be put on an IV, have tests run, you know? We, we have Shirley Wirt, who has had the difficulty with the stroke-like symptoms, but they kept her overnight because we have to look at this and we have to study this and we have to see what this is. None of that here. She was fully and completely and totally 
in every possible way, healed. She went from so sick, she couldn't get out of bed. Now, you have a society here. It's a subsistence sort of poverty system that they don't have the, well, I'm going to work in the fields, but I get three weeks of vacation. I get 10 days of sick leave. They didn't know what that was. If you were sick and missed days at work, if you were sick and didn't show up, you were a slacker. You were somebody who needed to be fired because, hey, you got a little, you know, you got a broken leg. Well, you limp while you're picking stuff. You got a fever. You can still show up and do things. Now, being a, a woman, being an older woman, she did not work in the fields. But she also did things like goes to the market. She did make bread. There were how, she made the household with her community of, of females make that community run. And if she just didn't show up, then people would see that as death's door. They better start making arrangements, getting her affairs in order, because if she's too sick to help out around the house, she's not going to make it. That was the view of a sickness like this. And so she goes from on death's door, unable to get out of bed, to walking around the house, making bread, cleaning things up, serving them, preparing food to, to have the Saturday afternoon dinner that they were planning on. She makes it all happen. And so it went from zero to a hundred instantly. This healing is complete and total, and we don't know. It gives zero details on what Jesus did or what was wrong with her. But we see that she's on death's door. She can barely get out of bed to walking around, doing everything she needs to do back how she was before the sickness. This is the healing that Jesus does. And so when we look at it, it is instant, it is complete, it is total, it is immediate, it is nothing is left. It doesn't say, and she began to serve them, but she couldn't use her left hand anymore. I mean, she was completely and totally back to how she was and able to serve. Now, some people have looked at this and goes, oh yeah, get her out of the sick bed and now she's serving everybody. This is the society that you're in. This is the place where men did not prepare meals. Women prepared meals. That was just the way the society was back 2,000 years ago. Right, wrong, or indifferent with today's standards. But the way it was back then, men did not prepare the meals. Women prepared the meals. Women ran the household. Men worked outside of the home. And so you say, okay, what does this show us about Jesus? Well, it shows us, and if you take the previous miracles, it shows us that Jesus is Lord and sovereign over everything, that he is not baffled by a sickness, that he knows as the creator of people 
how we should operate, how things in our body should move and what chemicals should be in what balance and what, you know, how bones should be arranged and all these sorts of things is fully and completely known by Jesus. And he can look at somebody who is dying of something and has a fever and know exactly what needs to be fixed and fix it from the inside out. Fix it from whatever is wrong is fixed so that the fever leaves her instantly and she is able to do her normal operation. Jesus is Lord over every little microbe. Jesus is Lord over every little piece of bacteria. Jesus is Lord over every virus, including the coronavirus. Jesus is Lord over everything that is in the air, that's out there trying to kill us every time we take in a breath. Jesus is Lord over all these things. And anything that you have, if you have a cough, Jesus is Lord over your cough. If you have a headache, Jesus is Lord over your headache. And you can say, so what, what does that mean? Do I not go to the doctor? No, God has set up medical things and, and systems. And if we have a difficulty, we can go to the doctor and God can work through the doctor to bring healing. But we also... Pray for instant healing. I hear about things and, you know, somebody's in an accident. And I pray two ways. I pray for God to instantly heal them because he can do it. I also pray for wisdom of the doctors and the nurses to move them along to a place of healing. God is going to do whatever God wants to do. And I think from my point of view, there are two ways that somebody can get fixed up from a bad fever. One, God can do it instantly, and I've seen it, okay? Back, back in the day when my mother was alive, she had a kidney stone. Kidney stone was so big, it was blocking everything, and so they had to cut it out. Because of her age and because of the size of this thing, they didn't want to break it into pieces and have it pass. They wanted to do surgery and get it out so that the urine could flow, as it were, so that things could be, you know, work well. And so I worked with it, and I met the surgeon, and I arranged everything, and we go to, I forget if it was St. Rose or Eden, but one of those two, because we bounce between those two all the time. Uh, they were going to have the surgery at 2 in the afternoon. And so I show up with her about 11, and they prep her, and everything's good, and I meet the doctor, and, and this is what's going to happen, and I'm going to do this, this, and this. And I said, great. And she goes in, and I go to the waiting room, and I pray for her healing. I pray for the wisdom of the doctors. I pray that things would work out well. 8 o'clock at night, the doctor comes back and says they can't find the kidney stone. 
They brought her into the operating room. They did an ultrasound to make sure they did the right kidney. No stone. Go look on the other side. No stone. Oh, we did something wrong. Go do an x-ray. No stone. I mean, they're doing every test because we've, we've reserved everything for the kidney stone. And there isn't one. And people that I told to pray for this, I tell them the, the healing. That was a healing. Okay? And so God can do instant things. I've known other people who need months and months of treatment to get healed. God does it that way too. I don't say, God, you're doing it right or you're doing it wrong. I just pray for God to heal however He wants to. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, and we're all standing before Jesus Christ, we will all be fully, completely, and instantly healed the way we were back before sin. And we can't even imagine what that will be like. Why will there be no death? Because there will be no sin. Why will there be no pain? Because there will be no sin. Death and pain and these sorts of things are all a result of sin. When sin is gone and we're in eternity, then these things go away too. And so Jesus came 2,000 years ago to save people's souls, to heal their souls. But because the condition, physical condition of humans back then and today is really bad because of sin... He also healed that too. He was trying to show that, hey, I can not only heal this lady's physical condition, I can save her soul for all eternity. This woman died eventually. She was healed of this fever, but she eventually died of old age. But she's in heaven as a believer, as a witness to by Peter, as someone who accepted Christ, her soul is saved for all eternity. So as I'm praying for wisdom for the doctors, I also pray for salvation for the doctors. The doctors that were working on my mother, I was praying for their salvation. I would pray that they would be convicted of their sin, they would understand who Jesus is, and they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that is... The ultimate healing that any of us can expect. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I praise you for this truth that you came to save our souls. You came to bring us into eternity with you. And while we wait for that, we live lives of pain. We live lives witnessing death. And Lord, I pray that we would lay all that at the foot of the cross, that we would understand that you not only heal our souls, but you also have the ability to heal our body of any malady. Lord, we praise you for that. And as your blessing upon the day, we ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen.
Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.